welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today we are going to be talking about eating disorders. This is something I think a lot of people have heard of eating disorders or possibly even uh, known someone with an eating disorder or, or even had one themselves. And we, we know the, the, the common ones, anorexia and bulimia, but there are, there are a few others and some are very interesting, a little bit more obscure. Um, but it's still sometimes a little bit taboo to talk about these things. Uh, a lot of people can have shame bringing these up. So we want to uh, learn more about what they are, what the cause are, what diagnosis looks like. We want to talk about possible treatment. So to help me with this today is my guest, Katie Morton. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she specializes in the treatment of eating disorders and self-injury specifically. So this is very much her expertise. Uh, we met over at EduCon, which is the big uh, conference for, for YouTube creators such as myself. So Katie, uh, in addition to being a therapist, also uh, has, uh, has a very successful YouTube channel just uh, after her name. And she also writes books and gives talks and all of these things. So she's quite active. So we were talking at EduCon. I, I recognized her from her channel, and uh, I, I was curious to talk to her a bit. And then once we were talking about eating disorders, that brought me to some personal issues that I have with food. If you don't know me too well, then uh, maybe you don't know too much about me and food and how I eat. But I, I've had a little bit of an issue with food uh, most of my life. It's it's definitely my one vice. I, 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 I do have issues with food. And so I really wanted to ask her a lot of questions. And being the transparent fellow that I am, I thought, why not have that conversation uh, in front of everyone that wants to listen rather than in private? So um, I hope you enjoy this. I learned a lot about eating disorders in general, and I also gained a little bit of perspective on myself and my relationship with food. So let's get right into this. We're answering the question, do I have an eating disorder? It was much larger than last year, but I love it every year. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because, like, the, I think this is the first year that it was like it, you had to be invited. It was they're, they're kind of like taking control, of just like oh. right, here's who we want to. I didn't even realize. Come. Yeah, that. this is the first year I like did something like ran a workshop, so I didn't even know that that was because it was more like, do you want to do this thing? And I was like. Uh, I'll make the time. It'll right, right, out, right. You know? yeah. Well, you're of a certain size, so you know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, but uh, it's cool though that they're doing it because educational creators are often like we're not as large as like these huge you some know what of I mean? the vloggers and the well, I don't do these types bait. yeah exactly like, some of my content's exactly. just not yeah yeah and talking to people with that always have advice from my channel they're like why don't you like do this kind of title or something mm-hmm. I'm like no because then i have zero integrity exactly <laughs> and like the whole point is to have yeah. integrity and to have people know what they're clicking on so they can educate themselves exactly when they need to. exactly but it was fun it, it was cool that they that that it was at youtube this time instead of in anaheim because i hate anaheim <laughs> So, I know. Nobody just, likes Anaheim. I, mean, I don't think anybody does. The only reason I go there is specifically for VidCon. Exactly. And that's it. Yeah. In and, and out. And this year, oh, oh, and you did go to VidCon this year, yes. right? How was that? Was that... Uh, I mean, it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, overwhelming, like always, because mm-hmm. there's just a lot going on, but... Yeah. But I enjoy it. It's fun to hang out with people. It's good to catch up with people you don't normally see. Good For to see sure. your viewers in a safe yeah. environment. They get excited. It's oh, great. you have actual fans that want to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. I totally don't. So I'm just, I, the two times I went to VidCon, I'm just surrounded by kind of tweens. Oh, and I'm just yeah. like, what, what, why Why am I here? Like, this is the complete opposite of <laughs> what I'm trying to do. I don't know. It's interesting. So I, I was stoked to go to EduCon and not VidCon. This a lot year. of people were. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people were like, well, this is what more what business is for us. And that's the truth. For sure, yeah. And VidCon is a lot of business stuff, mm-hmm. like in the industry track and mm-hmm. things like that. So, Yeah. It's Worlds cool. apart. <laughs> anyway, so that was fun. And I was stoked to meet you there. Uh, I had known of you before, so it was cool to chat. And uh, thanks for coming on. And so I wanted to talk about what's your one of your expertises or, or perhaps your primary expertise. I want to talk about eating disorders. Uh, this is something I've been interested in for a while. I mean, everybody kind of knows a little bit about them or has heard of them or has like seen them portrayed portrayed in a movie or on TV or something. So I just want to first like kind of get through the the definitions and stuff like what are the what are each of the dis- eating disorders like how many are there what are they called and yeah. what are they all about what are the symptoms and things like that. Okay. So yeah, so the first we'll start just like kind of in the order that they're in the DSM, I'm assuming. It's how my brain remembers it. But the first is like pika, which people don't talk about. It's not that common. Mm-hmm. But it's when we eat things that aren't normally edible. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I want to eat cotton balls or whatever. 
So it just gives you an idea of like random things that you feel the compulsion to eat. Okay, interesting. Then there's rumination disorder, which is something that's actually much more common than I think people realize, especially in conjunction with other eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And rumination disorder could gross some people out, but what it is is it's like constant regurgitation of your food. Okay. And I had a lot of uh, bulimia patients over the years, which we'll get into next, but um, where part of the healing of the, from their bulimia is rumination. Wait, so they regurgitate and then and then reeat mm-hmm. like a bird or something? Kind of. You like um, you like throw up in your mouth and swallow it, kind of thing. This is interesting. We've already we've just begun, and these are <laughs> two that I have not that I have not heard of. Oh, okay. Rumin and pika. Uh-huh. That's pika. It's funny because pika chew. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is there is the derivation <laughs> of the Pokemon? Because those are two syllables that seem to go together now in an interesting way. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure that's about just I, that's probably just some random Japanese word or something. But uh, okay, so pika and mm-hmm. rumination. Now these, what what is the prevalence of these? Because that, these seem like they would not be very common. Yeah, they're not very common. Okay. I mean, rumination, like I said, I see in conjunction with other eating disorders. Got it. And I'd I'd probably guess that maybe twenty percent of patients with eating disorders struggle with rumination, but Pika, mm-hmm. I don't see as often. Like it's, it's very, that seems very common in my right. experience. That has to have some origin and some strange, we'll, we'll get to, to causes later, but that's gotta be genetic, right? I mean, that's all of these do have a genetic crossed. component, but it could also yeah. be part. I don't know. Pika to me, I'm like, it could be art part of OCD. I feel a compulsion right. to do this. That's interesting. You know, okay. like, I don't know. There, I could be, there could be a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. I've, I don't, since I don't treat it very often and I have barely hear about it. Right. How often does one come across something yeah. like this in your field? Yeah, like once. Once a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> You're so. like, no way. Well, I got to treat you because this is a first for me. So this exactly. is going to be a learning experience for this both of us. my case study. Perfect. That's right. Um, okay. So we got those two. Yes. And then there's um, ARFID, which stands for, oh God, it's like a, what is the A? Oh my God, my brain. Anyway, it's essentially like... Um, when avoidant or restrictive in food intake disorder. Oh, okay. And it would come to me if I just okay, start yeah. talking. <laughs> um, but I always call ARFID. And that's the thing that people don't understand about ARFID is it's not like a fear of gaining weight. There's n- there's none of that. A PICA and doesn't have that either, a rumination right. disorder. But it's not what people would traditionally think of as an eating disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ARFID's when you just avoid foods because of texture. Uh, f- there could be like a, I don't even know, like just different things about it that you don't like or that you just hmm. don't enjoy eating. You don't enjoy the feeling of eating. It's it's not it's not uh, image based at all. That's so foreign to me. Eating is my favorite thing. Same. So there's some unpleasant sensation that overrides mm-hmm. the natural instinct to eat. Yes, and so for people survival. People do this like they avoid like avoidant restrictive food intake disorder will cause them to like not meet reg- it's when their children usually is when it starts and so they won't meet like oh they're supposed to be this amount of weight and this height right. you know roughly for their age and they mm-hmm. won't meet those criteria as they like quote unquote grow up because they're not mm-hmm. getting the proper nutrition mm-hmm. so that's more like lack of nutrition interesting whereas most kids will just be bottomless pits of candy until exactly. you unless you restrict them totally <laughs> i remember i used to sneak candy and my mom didn't want me to eat as much and so she sat me down with like my bag of halloween candy and was like mm-hmm. eat it all and i was like this is amazing and, and then i was super uh, sick ah that was like the smoke the whole carton of cigarettes totally uh, treatment <laughs> and i still am not a huge candy fan wow it, like, burned it out of me like, totally worked age six done and, and piqued your interest in psychology probably too probably like, why why did that work on me yeah how come i don't like candy anymore mm-hmm. dang it mom i'm gonna study this for my whole life <laughs> totally yeah okay um, so is okay. that all the rare ones or were we onto the head, heavy hitters or? those are the rare ones okay and then um anorexia nervosa which mm-hmm. is when we um and it's changed over the years too. the diag- like the diagnostic criteria for this one because it used to include um getting a period not getting your period but not everybody has a period so that's well, right, men. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense. Or women that are, um, yeah, trans women. Okay, trans women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, a silly criteria that should never have been in it. Okay. Um, and so if you're lower than your ideal body weight, which has to be decided by a doctor, mm-hmm. any of you people out there listening with an eating disorder, you can't decide that. Right. <laughs> you can't self-diagnose. No. Anorexia nervosa. Because they won't. They'll think that they're still not uh, skinny enough. Because that's mm-hmm. kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. So you don't eat enough. Um, to keep your body weight up and you restrict or you can have binge purge subtype but either way you have to like not meet weight criteria for okay. 
for your height and your age and your bone density and all okay. that stuff. So anorexia is specifically diagnosed singularly by body weight or body fat. Yes. Uh, okay. Just body weight. Yeah. Right. Body weight. Mm-hmm. And then bulimia nervosa is when we binge and purge. So mm-hmm. um, if you binging is when you eat more than a normal person would in a short succession, like a short period of time, usually like within an hour. Um, and then they'll do some kind of compensatory behavior. Doesn't It's not just throwing up. It could be uh, laxative abuse. It could be exercise. It could be um, there's all sorts of different things we can do to compensate for for eating. Okay. So someone who eats like a maniac and then works out like a maniac mm-hmm. is a, it could, is potentially bulimic. Yes. Okay. And that's, well, wow. Are all athletes <laughs> <laughs> bulimic? Because <laughs> like you ever look at the, you know, the, the intake of like Michael Phelps or something and you're like, yes. oh my God. It's like, was it 12,000 calories? Something or insane. Something and then he trains eight hours a day. Yeah. Well, perhaps he's a special case, but. Well, um, it's different because they don't. So part of all eating disorders is just obsession with food. Like thinking mm-hmm. about food, wanting, like all of, there's a lot of rituals and like obsessions that come along with this. Like all I think about all day is food. Okay. This is starting to ring a bell with me a little bit. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get into my own personal stuff later. <laughs> Let's get through these. Okay. So, so these are certainly a lot more prevalent and mm-hmm. possibly underdiagnosed, right? Yes. Uh, what, what percentage of people maybe have some of these symptoms or, or how prevalent is this in society? Both of these. Ooh, I should have looked up more stats before I came in here. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess would be because like, for instance, like schizophrenia, is like 1% of the population. Okay. I want to say, um, which is a lot more it, than you'd it, think it is 1% <laughs> sounds little, but it's a lot right. of people. I mean, that's, that's, uh, 80 million yeah. people. <laughs> and I want to say for eating disorders, it's 20 million people. Mm-hmm. So it might be less than that, but I, but a lot of it's not diagnosed. Right. So, and I'd have to look up the stats exactly, but I know that it is, it is fairly common and more common mm-hmm. than I think we like stats. Uh, how would you call those? Statisticians? No. Statisticians. Statisticians. Stat- I think statisticians. Statisticians. But yeah. Um, yeah, it could be tough because somebody who's anorexic or what I would what I would conceive of as, a, an, as, as an anorexic person, you can see that they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas a bulimic person, perhaps not so much. You'd have to witness some behavior that is probably kept private due to shame shame and embarrassment right never know and a lot of eating disorders have regular weights Mm -hmm. even the then um last really like term of an eating disorder the last one we'll really talk about is binge eating disorder Mm -hmm. so there's no compensatory behavior they just binge so people tend to be overweight Overweight, right but a lot of people are overweight do they necessarily have an eating disorder they just don't know how their body works Mm -hmm. and then the other thing is i mean given the psychological component somebody who's say bulimic are they even necessarily cognizant that there's something strange about their behavior do or or do they maybe uh, repress analyzing their own eating behavior so they don't even know that they're doing something weird or you know yeah i mean i think that usually we know it's not normal right but I think at the beginning, if we're doing it just a little bit, I get a ton of questions. They're like, well, I've only done it like a couple of times mm-hmm. and it's only when I'm super stressed. And I'm like, well, that's because eating disorders are a coping skill. Right. So when you're feeling maxed out, that's why you're doing that. Yeah. Um, and for diagnostic purposes, obviously, it's like it has to be most days for three weeks. You know, there's all these like, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. you know, you have to meet the, these this criteria. But I think in reality, if you are thinking about food or trying to compensate for eating food for most of your days... That's an eating disorder. Right, right. Yeah. Whether you fully actualize it or whether you have some control over it so that it doesn't take over, but you yeah. still kind of have those thoughts. That's yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah. it's more about the thoughts mm-hmm. to me. I mean, maybe the therapist in me. I'm like, it's more about what you think. Right. Versus like, are you doing it for this many days, for right. this many weeks or months? Right. And are you this percentage lower body weight? Like, I'm not so concerned with that because I know the thing that kind of sucks is in treatment when you try to get coverage from insurance you have to meet that criteria yeah and and which seems restrictive but obviously there has to be some kind of regulation in place otherwise it's a free-for-all totally but then that means that people wait longer to get help when we could have nipped it in the bud and Mm -hmm. made it not as big of a deal Mm -hmm. that's very interesting to think about with the with with the thoughts thing because then man how many of us must have some semblance of one of these things i mean i would probably include myself because i have all kinds of these thoughts so what happens in terms of diagnosis so somebody well first of all somebody has to make the decision for themselves to go and see somebody Mm -hmm. right so i don't know what percentage of people that is probably given there is still some stigma with mental health probably nowhere near 
as many as should. But, but let's say someone comes in and they say, okay, this is what's going on. Uh, so what, what happens? How, how is something diagnosed? And how does it go from there? So if someone does decide to get help, um, usually the, the first person they'll see is someone like me. So they'll mm-hmm. see like an outpatient therapist, meaning you come in, you see someone for an hour, and then you go about your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go twice a week. Some people go three times a week. But then after that, you really need a higher level of care, which would mean like going into a day program where you spend like half your day at treatment or living in a place like hospitalization inpatient. Mm-hmm. This is an extreme circumstances. Yes. If you need more support, really. It's like if you're not getting better with the treatment that you have, then maybe you need to increase. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you come to see an outpatient therapist, usually the way that it works is you sit down, they, they'll have paperwork in the waiting room for you, just basic stuff like what brought you here, yada, yada your name all that stuff Mm -hmm. then uh, you flip a light on therapist comes out at your time for your hour um and they're 50 minute hours so that we can pee and do notes in between (laughs) because we're people too that's right um and then uh they'll take you in they'll ask you what brought you in they'll review the paperwork really quickly with you um yeah and then just start talking about it i mean at whatever pace you want to go they should never push you past the point of where you're comfortable. What's your should, problem? <laughs> yes. But they should challenge you. Right. So so they would come in and you would ask just something general about like tell me about your relationship with food or like tell me about what mealtime looks for you looks like for you or something like that or Um, it depends. A lot of times they won't even tell me they're in for an eating disorder. Oh, they're just okay. So usually it'll be like, so what prompted you to make this appointment? Or have you been in therapy before? Right. Does it, why are you here? Like, mm-hmm. give me somewhere to start from. Yeah, exactly. Right. Instead of just like, so what's up with your mother? Like, exactly. <laughs> Can't just jump right in because yeah. you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> give them a, you know, a, a up and down and just sort of, uh, okay, I think I got I what's wrong with you. <laughs> so I've sussed this out. Yeah. No. <laughs> Trust me. I'm good at this. Um, okay. So... Okay, so ideally, you have somebody that is able to communicate clearly mm-hmm. what their issues are, and so then, and so then, you can follow some kind of rubric, and you can make a diagnosis, mm-hmm. and then where does it go from there? What does treatment look like? Um, depending on the person, honestly, mm-hmm. a lot of it for me, the way that I work isn't. I mean, yes, I worry about the symptoms with being the eating disorder symptoms, like whether you're binging and purging or not eating enough, like I'll immediately refer them to a dietitian. I won't see someone if they're not seeing a dietitian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll kind of help manage that. And then I work on figuring out what the root is. Like, what? why does this coping skill exist, this mm-hmm. eating disorder? Why is it here? Mm-hmm. Because is it because... Um, I don't know, let's say our parents expected a lot of us and there was a lot of pressure to perform and be perfect. Right. That's too much. It feels out of control. There's no way to be perfect. There's no way to do everything just the way you want. Right. So what can I control? Myself. So yes, I'm gonna... you can't control circumstances. Okay, so that's great. Actually, let me backtrack then. Let's, let's push treatment aside. Let's first talk about cause mm-hmm. because obviously human psychology is so complex that I, I, I would like to know a bit more about different models that analyze this or what model maybe that you use. How much of the, how much of, is it a genetic component? How much there, there are some, there for some people to be purely some kind of trauma, some kind Mm -hmm. of thing that, you know, was put upon them while they were being raised. What are, talk about that as much as you want, as much as you can. I'm fascinated (laughs) by this stuff. So genetics do play a role, Mm -hmm. but just like anything, genes have to be like turned on, they Mm -hmm. call it. It's like you can live with the gene and instead, if there's not a precipitating event, sometimes that will never come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Epigenetics. Um, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so we, it is like if my mom, let's say, had an eating disorder, then I'd be 25% more likely. Whereas the normal population, I want to say it's like 5% or 6%. Okay. So just keeping that in mind. Okay. Then enter trauma or uh, even emotional neglect. It could be any kind. Of, I think people think of traumas as these big, I call them like big T's, like, oh, accidents, ab- abuse, things like that. But you can have little T's. You can mm-hmm. have little T's of like, we moved a lot as a kid and I never really felt like I had a stable home okay. or my parents weren't emotionally there for me the way that I needed. Like emotional neglect is huge. Mm. Um, or there was a lot of pressure. Like I, um, one of my patients years ago, she was a horse jockey. Like, and she uh, rode horses and like, okay. as a kid, it was like part of her thing. And then she started training horses and competing and be, you need to be small right, for that. And she started to get really tall and it took away her ability to do that. And so the only way she could think to deal with that was to have an eating disorder, like to make her smaller. To like stunt her growth. Mm-hmm. So this was d- while she was growing, growing up. Yeah. Okay. 
because like teenage years, she started to get tall. She had like a growth spurt. And so I think there's a lot of different reasons that we can have an eating disorder that people normally wouldn't think about, you mm-hmm. know, like a ballet ballerinas are no, like we know that, but yeah. there's a lot of focus on how you look and you're supposed to be small and petite and right. graceful and all this stuff. And like too much focus on the body. Mm-hmm. And so those things like being a competing with horses, being a jockey, being a ballerina, um, any of those things, they have nothing to do with trauma. Just intense pressure to conform or to live up to some kind of standard. Mm -hmm. Even if it's self-imposed. Even if it's self-imposed. But that's the thing is like, that's why I think people think of eating disorders in the wrong way where they're like, oh, it's about vanity and you have to look a certain way. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it really doesn't matter. And it's actually not about the food. It's more about what that represents. Mm -hmm. Does that represent my ability to do something I love because I need to stay small to, to compete? Right. Is it because... Maybe my dad always praised my brother for being super fit and really good at sports. So I needed to do that too. Right. Um, it could be, it could be trauma based. It could be whatever, but the, it's not really about the eating disorder. It's about what purpose it serves. Mm-hmm. And then, so where does it cross the line? Because I think body dysmorphia is a big mm-hmm. aspect, right? So there are certainly cases where it just goes far beyond any kind of standard into the realm of being tremendously unhealthy and and you know aesthetically not good mm-hmm. either so where does that stem from i mean what is what is the psychology of, of body dysmorphia so body dysmorphia is part of eating disorders mm-hmm. not always but it can be but an eating disorder is not part of body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. So many people with an eating disorder have some component of body dysmorphia, although you can have body dysmorphia in a completely unrelated yes. context as well. Okay. Because you might not do anything like body dysmorphia is more likely just to lead to low self-esteem and potentially plastic surgery Okay. than it is to lead to eating issues. It can, mm-hmm. but then it would be an eating disorder with the component of right. like, cause for instance, anorexia nervosa, part of it is like you, you can't really see yourself for how you look and you always think that you're heavier than you are. So that's kind of, you can see how that's like body dysmorphia, but it's really yeah. anorexia. Yeah. I mean, how I would just, if only we could see, if I could just see what they see, I'm mm-hmm. just so curious. Mm-hmm. What do they actually see? Because in certain extreme cases that I've seen, it's like, oh my God, I can literally see your entire rib cage. Like, mm-hmm. what can you possibly be seeing? That And, and do I have a component of that? Like, it, when, like, if I think that I look dramatically different with like an eight pound differential, mm-hmm. like when I'm like slightly heavier, slight, when I look in the mirror and I see a big difference, mm-hmm. is it really like, probably not, probably not. So what's going on with me? Like how I just, it's so hard to wrap my head around that I could not be, I or anyone could not be seeing reality in yeah. the mirror. Well, it's a weird, it's like kind of, I don't know if I can say this, but it's like a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, if because you can't like perception is so personal yeah and we know that like i think given like what we know about psychology we know about the brain like if i'm in a good mood the way that i view something is very different than if i'm in a really bad mood and i've had a horrible day we know that Mm -hmm. and i think that we put that on ourselves and we can perceive that we're heavier skinnier uglier whatever you know depending on how we feel Mm-hmm. I remember specifically, maybe it's because I'm aware of this because this is like what I do in my practice, but I remember specifically one day feeling super good about myself and feeling like I looked good and I you know, was getting dressed and then I was like, I haven't weighed myself in like a year because I just don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. Like, riddle me this, when do you need to know how much you weigh? <laughs> Almost never. Right? Never, unless you're going yeah. bungee jumping. Right. That's <laughs> the only time. Okay. So, yeah, or if you're a wrestler or something. Yes, if you don't yeah. weigh in. But then mm-hmm. you don't actually need to know. You just have to be weighed in. That's true. They got to know for mm-hmm. that. But then you'll know if you made the class, the mm-hmm. lower class. Or but whatever. still, like, right. I just always think of that. It's not necessary. Yeah. It doesn't do me any good. I might as well, you know, tar and feather myself. I feel just as good. Yeah, it's tough. I've gone through phases of like weighing myself every day mm-hmm. and then phases of like, I don't care. I don't mm-hmm. need to know. And But but to, back to your anecdote, oh, you're yes. probably saying on that day you weighed yourself. And, and I weighed shocked, a lot more, more than I right. thought. But yeah. then it ruined my perception. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I and I sat for there for a second and I was like, oh my God, like it actually doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. why did I even do that? Like, I shouldn't even have a scale. It's not necessary. Right. But it, so just keeping that in mind when you think about how you talk to yourself about how you look and what you weigh, like, cause that's really where the healing is. So like if we're talking about like, okay, this is how you treat it. 
or this is what they are. This is what the causes are. You can get better simply by a healing the reason that it exists. If it's trauma, then that means you have to do some trauma work, which is really hard, but possible. Mm-hmm. Or you have to figure out how to talk to yourself in a nice way. So even my patients who are ballerinas or, you know, doing it for sports or it has nothing to do with trauma. It's a lot about value and value that they place on looking a certain way or being a certain mm-hmm. way. And how do we change that? Or maybe redistributing the value mm-hmm. a little bit. So yeah, there have to be cases where somebody was maybe not aware of the exact reason this was developed. And then through talk therapy, they finally arrive at, oh, like, oh, my mother did this behavior. And then I internalized that. And that's why I do this. And so like, that's got to be a big breakthrough. How often does that kind of a breakthrough lead to a significant improvement in these in the symptoms in, in the eating disorder? Yeah, there's a lot like that. Mm-hmm. I have had patients over the years, I'd be like, I had a wonderful childhood. Like, my parents are both there for us. It was no big deal. I mean, then they think that they're being crazy. Like, oh, maybe I made this up. Mm-hmm. And you didn't. Nobody wants to have an eating disorder. Let's just throw that out there because it's a shitty yeah. place to be. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. Um, and it is a huge breakthrough when you figure out why. And it could be something as simple as, like, your family's behavior around food. Right. Because, we'll, like, this just to... Not that this causes an eating disorder, but this has been a reason for a lot of my patients over the years is using food as reward and punishment when our body needs it. Mm-hmm. But we use it, oh, if I do really well and I do X, Y, Z, then my mom will give me candy. Or if I've been bad, then I don't get dessert. Okay. Like, And, and I know that that sounds crazy because you're like, oh my God, everybody's parents do that. Right. <laughs> and sure, but if we already have that gene, right, go back to like genetics, if we already have that. Mm-hmm. And that could be like kind of a precipitating event. I know it's not like a, a big thing that we think could cause something, but it could cause us to change the way we think about food. Like I have to earn desserts. Right. Or, you know, extra cheese is a treat. When it's like, if I just want it, I should be able to have it because mm-hmm. I'm intuitive. I know when I'm hungry. I know when I'm full. Yeah. It's a cumulative thing of having the genetic propensity and then the event occurs mm-hmm. or, the, you know, the, whatever triggers it. That's really fascinating though because for myself, I, I, have, I have a dual thing. Like food, I use food to celebrate mm-hmm. good things. And I also use food as a coping mechanism when things don't go well. Yep. So there's basically no instance in which I can't find some way to justify <laughs> eating some ridiculously huge meal. <laughs> so it's just that's the constant <laughs> struggle for me. It's like I have to be having the most utterly uneventful neutral day to be able to be like, uh, let's just, no, I'll just have just some chicken. and uh, No, mm-hmm. it's fine. <laughs> you know? But it's the emotional connection to yeah, food. Yeah, absolutely. On both sides of the spectrum. That's yeah. what makes it so difficult. But a lot of people are that way because yeah. that's how we treat food. We use it as a reward mm-hmm. and as a punishment. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like keeping that in mind because when you have these like aha moments in therapy around like, oh my God, it was this thing that my mom used to do. I never even thought about that. And they have this like <gasps> light mm-hmm. bulb. It doesn't like fix what's going on, but it gives us information so that we know what tools we need to use. Right. Because I feel like a therapist really isn't, they're not going to fix anything for you, but they're going to, with the information that you give them, they can then pick from their toolbox of things they know that have worked for other people or Mm -hmm. things they're trying and they can offer them up to you so that then maybe the next time you have the urge to not eat or overeat or compensate you can use that tool. You can at least think, just be self-aware mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, most of it's just recognizing. Right, that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. You were, earlier, you were talking about emotional neglect. Can mm-hmm. you talk more about that? Yeah, it's like it can happen for a lot of different reasons. One, parents have to work out of the home. It's not like mom or dad always gets to stay home with the kids. Mm-hmm. And so, when we need someone, when we fall down and hurt ourselves, we had a bad day at school. There's not always someone there to be like, "It's okay, rub your back, tell you it's going to be fine." Let me make you a snack, anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's none of that. Or we could be kind of more of a highly sensitive person where we feel things intensely. We need to talk it out to process it. I'm kind of like that a little bit because I'm kind of like empathic. So I can feel things really intensely. Mm -hmm. And my husband knows I have to like talk it out a lot Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the time. And so if there's nobody that's there to tell you it's okay and to comfort you when you need it, you can feel like your life from the outside, like as an adult, I have a lot of patients who will be like, but I had everything I needed. Like my, like your life looked good on paper, you know, mom and dad stayed together or were happily divorced. And it wasn't like, you know, always chaotic, had a nice house, went to school, had lunch, you know, everything was always taken care of for me. 
but my emotional needs. Right. Because either and it can get so intense as like almost bordering up against emotional abuse where it's like, stop crying, get it together. You're fine. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff can make it even harder. But I think, you no, know. Yeah, it's no, that's that's very interesting. I, I, I want to know more about the relationship with food because it's like I, I feel that I I experienced a lot of emotional neglect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't I would almost characterize it as extreme just in the sense that there was no discussion of emotions, uh, no processing of emotions, no checking on my emotions really at all my entire childhood so how industrious and amazing of you to find a wife that's a psychologist exactly right <laughs> i found the polar opposite of uh, what you filled your my, need exactly yeah interesting so that that that, that is affirming mm-hmm. for me that i can kind of go like all right this is what the problem was in my mm-hmm. childhood now i'm going to rectify it but because of that i, I am the opposite of an empath I, mm-hmm. I have very very little empathy i mean i have a lot of sympathy and but when i when i relate to people or when i you know think of people in a certain way it's 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 derived of logic i I don't mm-hmm. feel other people's feelings. And um, I think that has a lot to do with that sort of emotional vacuum that I grew up in. And I, given that I do feel I have some issues with food, I, I, it's interest, I, I can't find a link there. I don't know what that would be. You've heard the term comfort food, right? right. Mm-hmm. Food soothing. Oh, 100%. And that's kind of why like binge, like for instance, like binge eating disorder itself, when people just overeat and there's no compensation, Mm -hmm. it's done as a way to numb out from the bad stuff. So I'm going to overeat so that I feel so satiated, Mm -hmm. so full that that's all I can think about. And I'm going to eat so much. And during that time, all I can think about is how tasty the food is. Oh yeah, I do that. leaves no space for any emotional thoughts any upsets and it folk. And then a lot of my patients will say, I eat till I'm uncomfortably full because then you have like three hours of time where you just don't feel good. Mm -hmm. Again, leaving no brain space for upset, sadness, disappointment, whatever. Mm -hmm. We just push it out. Well, but, but I, well, I do do that. I do eat to the point of discomfort Mm -hmm. very often, uh, almost every meal. Um, but I feel a lot of shame afterwards from that. So I do feel that. So I like the the the, the part while but I'm that's eating. That's not the hard emotional stuff. Uh huh. Just coping with. That's just you coping with the eating. Coping with. It's a very w- like. Mm-hmm. But it's not just. <clears throat> it's not just that discomfort. It's the shame of like. I want to be fit, and I want to you know mm-hmm. uh, present myself a certain way, and this behavior is impeding my that attaining that goal Mm -hmm. which i can which i can blow out of proportion right i it's very easy to say the way you look and the way you are is sort of how you present yourself to the world which is a representation of your value system and things Mm -hmm. like that and so if i think of like oh i want to be this fit you know which is not i don't want to be like crazy fit i just want to be you know pretty pretty fit and such behavior is an impediment towards attaining that, Mm -hmm. then there's the whole like existential crisis of like, I'm doing something against what I really want to do. Exactly. Fighting against myself. Yes. Sabotage. Yeah. It's these, it's the, it's these contradicting, uh, impulses, which is why like going to like the supermarket is sometimes not uh, on most days it's whatever, Mm -hmm. but on certain days it's like a harrowing experience Mm -hmm. because I have like the two the angel and the devil or well not necessarily angel and devil i just have these conflicting commands mm-hmm. one says this is delicious and you want to eat as much of this as possible <laughs> and the other says you want to look a certain way and be feel feel a certain way and present mm-hmm. yourself a certain way so don't get any of that and then my wife just has to like deal with that and but like, it's very watch black and me white. do that yeah you're stuck in black and white land pretty much yeah. because the thing that is interesting and this is why even though food does trigger our reward system in our brain mm-hmm it, we can't live without it. So it's not like drug addiction or exactly. alcohol where you just stop, right? You we can't have, not eat. <laughs> you have to change your relationship yeah. with it. And so it's like... It's like a meth addict that like you... Well, you have to have a little bit of meth every, every day. day. Otherwise you Three can't. times a day at least. Yeah. It's exactly how I feel. Because like, we'll... It's... it's I'm so suggestible that like I'll, I'll have a plan like, okay, today I'm going to eat really healthy blah 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 and then someone will say you know either my wife will say oh let's go have this or like a friend's like let's go get mexican but i'm like yep <laughs> I'm we're down. going like, i just i can't it's so i have very little self-control with food whereas i have 
incredible self-control and discipline in every other area of my life. Like I'm a workaholic and I, you know, Mm -hmm. do everything just so, but then with food, it's just like, well, it's out the window, you know? Well, it totally makes sense because, mm -hmm. because it's, it's black and white. It's all nothing. You live in that space a lot. I Mm -hmm. would assume in everything, not just food. Yeah. And so, whereas food is like gray, like, okay, I'm going to eat kind of healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have, eggs for breakfast but you know cheese just sounds good so i just want cheese on those eggs also and that's there's no judgment that's just me listening to my body and then i'm like oh you know i'm full for like maybe four hours instead of three Mm -hmm. i had more protein i had more calories if you think of it that way and i'm good and then at dinner i want to get like a i'm gonna be kind of healthy so i'm gonna have like chicken and vegetables or whatever but then somebody gets fries and i'm like you know what i want a few fries that's Mm -hmm. fine there's no judgment around that right but my guess is that and I, I mean, I know this because my patients are this way. It's either I'm all healthy or like, fuck it, I'm in. A little bit. <laughs> it is a little bit like that just because, I, I mean, if it's in front of me, like if, if like not to an extreme, like if somebody else has fries and they're like, do you want two fries? I'm like, I'll, I'll grab a couple of fries. And like, I'm not going to like accost their meal. No. Like, give it to me. But like, <laughs> if we have, if there's food in front of me, like I'm going to eat that food till it's gone. I don't mm. care how uncomfortable There's I get. There's no check-in on how no full way. you are. No way. And I eat so fast that the food is gone before the discomfort sets in mm-hmm. anyway, physiologically. Yeah. So it is, yeah. It, like it, It's almost like when I hear alcoholics talk about alcohol and they're like, I can't have just one drink because I want to drink all of the alcohol in the world when mm-hmm. I drink, you know? And fortunately, I don't have that. I can totally just have, like, a beer with dinner and it's no big deal. But with food, like, I'll, I won't even have taken my first bite and I'm like, I'm going to eat this entire thing and then I'm going to get something else. I'm going to eat that too and then I'm going to have this and then mm-hmm. I'm going to have that. And I'm like, dude, just <laughs> eat a little bit first and then, yeah. you know, and, and I watch, because I'm self-aware, I watch this entire inner monologue go on almost mm-hmm. as a passive observer do you wait to eat and, until you're super hungry or do you eat periodically um i usually am a little more on the waiting mm-hmm. until i'm hungry yeah so snacks might be helpful for you mm-hmm. just you know like three smaller meals and three snacks yeah. every day that's mm-hmm. what we do in treatment centers but i'm curious like that's interesting because i would encourage you to eat so before you even take a bite to check in with how hungry you are right like 10 being like if i bend over i'm gonna throw up i'm so full zero being like i'll kill you i'm so hungry right you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. then like usually you just start eating when you're like a four or a five you're like you start to feel hungry i could eat something yeah Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like because before by the time we actually sit down and eat and pick things out we're usually already moving into like four three you know yeah we don't want to dip into like two, one, zero. No. Yeah. Then I just become an insane person. Everybody does. Blood sugar yeah. plummets. We know like we physiologically and hormonally even have a complete shift in our mood. Mm-hmm. So try to do that. And then if you eat half of your plate, just like cruise on in, eat as fast as you want, whatever. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But when there's a halfway point, like maybe just even cut down the middle of a plate, especially with <laughs> Mexican food, super easy. Oh, cut yeah. down the middle and then check in have like a half a glass of water Mm -hmm. and then just how full am I? Yeah. You know, think about it. Talk to people, engage in conversation, Mm -hmm. give yourself like a five (laughs) minute break. And that, that will alleviate this. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We have to slow it down. Yeah. It's, I want all of the diff, like I want all of the different foods at Mm -hmm. the same time. It's this weird, you know, obsessive thing. But I think in general, eating too fast is a problem for me or like stopping it. You know, cause like, you know, my, my wife will be like, uh, you know, just point out how quickly I'm eating. And then I'll try to like, just as a game, like eat slower. Like I'll take a few bites and put it down. And I'm like, well, now what, what are people doing you in talk. the, in between? Like <laughs> in now between I'm just standing here. I'm just sitting here with food in front of me, not eating it. This doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> I need to resume eating this. I have a very hard time. Like, eating at a you know, like what other people think of eating as a leisurely pace mm-hmm. i think is like what are you doing like what is, what's oh. what's the hold up here <laughs> but what if at each bite you're like what do you taste what's good just think about it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> tap in instead of like it, essentially when we binge we're like zoning out yeah it's like I don't it's know. an altered state it is you're Absolutely. almost like dissociated a little you're I'm not really 100 dissociated which is probably why it's hard for you to have conversations and slow down 
Because you're not really you. Yeah. I mean, if there's an engaging conversation to be had, it's not like I'm stuffing my face and speaking mid by I can I can talk. But like, just the, I think when people are like, oh, you're not even enjoying your food. I'm like, uh, yeah, I am. Like, <laughs> You take, have no idea how much take, I'm enjoying this. Take the enjoyment <laughs> that you experience over however 25 minutes it took you to eat your mm-hmm. meal. Condense that into three minutes. I'm feeling all of that pleasure <laughs> very quick, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shoving a couple slices of pizza down really fast. It's pretty enjoyable to me. Pizza's always enjoyable. Pizza's great. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's like, it, those are just symptoms. That's We're like treating the symptoms, right? Yeah. Because the real issue could be like a, not feeling emotionally supported. And so food's been your emotional support as a kid, I'd assume. Yeah, I think that's, the, there's definitely a component. I mean, it's strange because I was an athlete as a kid, and so I would eat, like, literally triple the intake that mm-hmm. I do now, and I was rail thin because I would, was a swimmer, and I would uh, swim it off every day. And then in, like, my early 20s when I was no longer an athlete, yep. I still tried to eat the same way. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is what my life is now, like, actually thinking about what I eat. So then I don't know how that changed. It was almost like I just got so used to eating whatever I wanted all the time that I could, my brain couldn't like switch over switch over to like, you know, thinking uh, conservatively mm-hmm. about food, you know. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's almost like I wouldn't say that it was because of the being an athlete that you ate so much, even mm-hmm. though I know we have to fuel our body. Right. But it's because it enabled me, though. Yes, it, there were you there were no ramifications whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like when I went to college, I was eighteen, same height I am now. I was like one hundred and thirty pounds. Oh my god, eating triple what I eat now. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it was just it just came, it went right through me, you know. Yeah, because you're just working it working out. Yeah, it was like bulimia. Not that that was what the goal right. was, but it was like you were over exercise similar as effect. part of your mm-hmm. absolutely yeah which i also hated i also hated swimming so there was an extra uh, emotional component there interesting yeah, yeah. So, but that is interesting because i think that a lot of times people look at eating disorders and they think oh it's just all about the food and it's all about control mm-hmm. and i'm like actually it's not it's more about the what food gives you and what you think food means mm-hmm. and how you're using food to cope with whatever else is going on so like right they're not like my parents aren't showing me the love and uh, connection that i need i'm gonna like numb out with food right or the opposite talk more about earlier you're talking about control this is the only thing i can control so mm-hmm. it's like an it, it, it could either be it, it's an act of defiance mm-hmm. either towards the the universe or god or something or just like your parents that you that are strict or something or yeah how does that work for a lot of people I think for a lot of people because we can't control anything but ourselves I think when we're when we're growing up it's like you know we can feel like we we don't have any control over anybody else but it can take us a while to realize that and when we if our outside experience our whole life feels very chaotic Mm -hmm. then we feel like the only thing we can control is ourselves and that could be from like being it can manifest as OCD like obsessional obsession compulsiveness It could manifest as OCD, Mm -hmm. obsessive compulsive disorder, or it could manifest as like panic attacks and anxiety. It could manifest as an eating disorder. It can manifest as a lot of things because we can only control ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so if we aren't expressing how we feel and feeling supported or feeling like we can talk to someone about things, we look inward. Mm -hmm. Some people even self-injure as a way to cope with that because I can't control what's going on around me. I don't know how to deal with this. This is what I'm going to do. This is the only way I know how to deal. Teenagers that cut or mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you call it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's self-injury mm-hmm. like when you can cut or burn or um, hit your head or whatever, just kind of as a way to cope. Again, it's just a coping skill. Right. And we call them like maladaptive coping skills because they're not healthy for they're us. They're harmful. Yeah. Healthy coping skills would be like swimming, um, uh, joining the band, mm-hmm. uh, doing art. Uh, journaling, talking yeah. to friends, going for walks. Like there's a lot of different ways that we can expend energy. We can talk to people. We can go to therapy mm-hmm. um, so we can get it out so that we can cope in a real way. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about eating disorder, self-injury, anything is that they it doesn't make it better. They don't address anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just, yeah, you're just doing harm. Yeah. You're just kind of mm-hmm. like numbing it out and it'll come back again. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like people always assume that eating disorders have to do with food and vanity. And sure, we all want to like 
be fit and look good, but it's not really about that. That's just something we focus on because the real problem is really hard to see. Yeah. Or at least maybe some percentage it, it focused on that, but, mm-hmm. but certainly there's many ways to, and then, yeah, what, what um, so I, I am mildly obsessive compulsive, but to me that I feel like that's at least in my case, pretty rigidly genetic. I, I think it's just like mm-hmm. how my brain works, but how does that tie in? With, like is there is there a specific eating disorder that though that goes with OCD almost all the time or is, what, what is there any correlation there's a correlation for, like between OCD and eating disorders right not a specific one mm-hmm. because OCD lives in black and white land mm-hmm. I'm either not doing it or I'm doing it mm-hmm. you know I mean I might be thinking about it but then I'm gonna do it Right. You know, if you think about like how OCD works, it's like you have these obsessions, you think about it, think about it, think about it, and then you have to do the compulsion because something bad might happen or mm-hmm. I won't feel safe if I don't or we well, don't know. It mm-hmm. could be all sorts of things. You feel okay. a compulsion, you have to. Mm-hmm. And eating disorders work in the same kind of vein. Think about it, think about it, think about it. I sometimes have rituals around it. Like I have to go to the grocery store or I swing into this fast food place or I order pizza or I do this thing and then I wait. And then I do the, you know, then I have the compulsion. I do the thing. Okay. And so they kind of feed into that same like reward center in our brain. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's yeah, ritualization very... or almost a fetishization of mm-hmm. this, this kind of behavior. Uh-huh. That yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting. I just think that pe- the more people can talk about it in a real way, where they understand that it's it's not just about the food. You know, mm-hmm. it could even just be like how society puts pressure on us to look a certain way when like everybody's body's different. Right. Yeah, that's a huge part which i which i feel do you feel that society is beginning to shift away from that or it seems like there's a concerted effort to uh address that in the media although it's weird because like some (laughs) some efforts are i i feel not valid whatsoever like like they're you know having certain people representing the media is great and then you have these like ultra attractive people that are just Mm -hmm. like don't worry about your body, your body. It's like, you're the person that's making me feel bad. Don't tell me this. Like, give me a break. These like super attractive women. They're like, it's whatever. I used to be self-conscious. Like, oh, you're not helping. Like, I know. And used to be seems so shaming yeah. to someone who still is, right? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and I think it, I mean, it is getting better because they are talking about it more. And like, mm-hmm. you know, beauty comes in all shape, shapes and sizes. How do you have a summer body? You you put it on the beach. You know, it's just right. like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that stuff is really important. But it still is like only like a sliver of what it is. And I think the real change that I'm seeing is actually with the way people talk about it on social media. Not the influencers so much as like their fans and viewers. Like we know through Instagram recently, people have been talking a lot about how super edited perfect photos don't do as well as the more like nitty gritty in the mm-hmm. you know uh i don't know not edited you don't have makeup on you're this wearing pajamas like. yeah. mm-hmm. those do better because that's more relatable mm-hmm. and so even though i know that that sounds kind of phony like oh you get more likes if you're more relatable mm-hmm. but i think that that shows a bigger movement it's a yeah it's a trend within society within the people that are using the medium that are saying whether it's conscious or not this is what we prefer exactly and that's good we need that in every area of society too yes because it's not so all or nothing and not every mm-hmm. everybody's different too like I'm never going to look like Chrissy Turlington or whatever her name is, supermodel from way back. Mm-hmm. That My body's just not that way. I don't mm-hmm. look like Gigi Hadid because I'm not Gigi Hadid. Mm-hmm. It, that's just how it is. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm vaguely familiar with, with who those people are. <laughs> but um, I sometimes, like, after you've lived long enough or if you've, like, looked through history a little bit, I think it's pretty fascinating to look at, like, what was attractive over the past, like, 150 years or something. Yes. Like, you look at, like, the 20s and it was like, oh, you need to be pale as a ghost like that's what it <laughs> well, that was, you know. didn't work in the fields it's all about sure what society says is successful mm-hmm. and is like something to uh, try to attain yeah a thousand years ago being obese was attractive because mm-hmm. it's like oh you have enough wealth to eat every day well that's incredible exactly. you can be <laughs> overweight yeah we're just trying to like barely survive mm-hmm. yes <laughs> that's fascinating so yeah i think like um it, it's possible that a lot of i mean maybe we're past it enough but i think like the heroin chic of like the 90s or what era was that 80s or 90s or something yeah or all the runway model you know kate moss and, and yeah, like the this 90s. kind of stuff yeah where i feel like that 
that gave a generation of people eating disorders. Yeah, well, I mean, it, to especially if you wanted to be in that space. Yeah. If you're like, oh my God, I would love to be a model or I want to do this, you yeah. know? Or even not. I mean, you're just a high school but that's what kid you see. and you're like, oh, that's what everybody mm-hmm. wants to be with. And, and I love those Calvin Klein jeans. And like, if that's yeah. how you look when you're in them, mm-hmm. it can be hard. Yeah, I think... I mean, there's a lot that we can do in society to stop, like, fat shaming and body shaming in general. For sure, yeah. But I think there just need... It, it's a bigger conversation because that doesn't always lead to eating disorders either. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't always mean that just because I think I'm supposed to look this way that I'm going to actually take steps to to make that happen in an mm-hmm. unhealthy way. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Luckily, models now are, like, a little bit more... Yeah, there's there's more diversity there in mm-hmm. all in all the ways. And I think even more so, it's like, hopefully all of us, as we get older and we get, you know, our 20s and our 30s, we kind of just naturally start to go, oh, it totally doesn't matter what other people think about me. That's yeah. so stupid that I would care what other people would think about me. But I think we forget that all of us as teenagers really, really, really cared what people thought of us. Always. And I wonder what kind of efforts can be made to specifically address younger people and, and just like help accelerate that 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 uh, personal growth to get to the point where you can be like, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't have to be any way but whatever I want to be, you know. Yeah, that I think it's a thing. couple, it's like two-pronged because it's part of the development of being a kid, like yeah. worrying about what people think, stuff like that. But I think the thing that's the most important that we should put more emphasis on isn't like, oh, you don't have to worry about what other people think. It's more like, you should worry about what you think about you. Mm-hmm. Because it's all like, not to get like totally like woo-woo on you, but I completely believe in positive psychology and the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because your thoughts aren't necessarily based in fact. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been a de- detective for some of your stories? And you're like, I have no evidence to support this. Right. This is all bullshit. I just uh-huh. made this up in my head. So you have to notice what your thoughts are fact check them Mm -hmm. and notice if you're telling yourself this story that you've been telling yourself since you were like 12 years old Mm -hmm. it could be that i'm like i'm um stupid nobody likes me i'm fat right there are these false stories that we tell ourselves that we're now i mean i'm 35 so like we're now adults but yet i still could believe that story i told myself when i was 13 exactly and so it's like checking in on that and noticing how you're talking to yourself is really where what we should be teaching teenagers. Yeah, negative or positive. I mean, whether whether you have low self-esteem or whether you're a bit egomaniacal, you mm-hmm. know, to just keep it in check. Like some like I'll I'll have I'll have thoughts on both sides and I'll try to sometimes I just kind of like cuz if you want to be in the public sphere uh, or an artist or anything like that, you kind of have to have ego. Mm-hmm. But I like to just like I like I see it and I'm like, you're there. You're fine. I'm not going to do anything about it. I know what you are, though, and you're not real, but let's let you exist because I need you sometimes. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. If I'm going to get on stage, if I'm going to do something, I you need tap into that. I need you there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So I think just getting older is sometimes a little bit about just like you can't get rid of all those thoughts. You can just like look at them, affirm them, mm-hmm. not give them too much power. Just like, hi, you know, I see you there. Yep. I see you, my crippling uh, low self-esteem, <laughs> or I see you, my my narcissism or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and just uh, let it be. And <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's kind of like meditation. You're not supposed to stop thoughts. You're supposed to yeah. just let them come and go. And there's no judgment. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing is we automatically judge a thought. We're yeah. like, oh, I'm such a bad person. Or, oh, it's happening again. Versus right. being like, oh, I see you. You're there. That's fine. Next, yeah. you know. It's true. I think definitely just the idea of not judging thoughts could be talked about more in society, especially as they relate to certain touchy issues. Um, I, I agree. I, I don't like the vilification of thoughts or desires or things like that. Only actions. If you're harming somebody, then this is a problem and you need to be dealt with. But, you know certain fringe uh behaviors or, or or desires i feel like we should just be able to talk about them and just like look this is like if if somebody who i mean let's take like the worst case i don't even necessarily want to say but like you know molester or pedophile or mm-hmm. something like that it's like just if, if they could just like feel the safety to be like oh no like i'm having these thoughts yeah and like i need to go get treatment and i need to like figure out how to navigate my existence 
having these thoughts because these yeah. are terrible. But instead, we just sort of like, oh, you should die and let's, <laughs> let's yeah. kill you. And well, and I think it's just lack of uh, education and knowledge around psychology as a whole mm-hmm. and what makes us people and the fact that we actually have everything we need within ourselves to to help ourselves yeah but we don't always know where to find it and that's why therapists and psychiatrists psychologists come into play because they can help you find that yeah it's a, to be honest it's it's absolutely shocking that i still encounter a stigma with mm-hmm. mental health to the point of like i, I mean 40, 50 years ago, yeah, people were like, oh, you're seeing a shrink, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, like, I had kind of thought that had that had, that had passed, but I'll still find people that are like, oh, go see somebody. That's, that's, I'm not crazy. It's like, dude, everybody on earth should go see I, somebody. I'm a therapist and I see a therapist. Of course. Just, like, every yeah. single human should just have somebody to, like, bounce their inner monologue yeah. off of. I go to somebody infrequently, but... Is just to be like, ah, oh, this is what's going on, and exactly get some insight, yeah, perspective. I mean, I go to the doctor every year for a physical, right? Should do that for my brain, yeah, since it can make all sorts of stuff go wrong. Absolutely, like why burden your partner with, yes. you know, and and also you just there, there's nobody, romantic partner, best friend, whomever that you speak with in an unfiltered manner. There just isn't. There's some no. some baggage that you're bringing to that relationship if you can like i just love going to see somebody where i can say something that i would be embarrassed to tell anybody else and that's the thing that's beautiful about it yeah i I love that that should be like my motto is like therapy saving significant others for years or whatever saving your special people from hearing your shit (laughs) i mean forget about the fact that sometimes you want to talk about them (laughs) you can't talk to them about them yeah but uh, but but with me it's more yeah it's more just just general life stuff or like you know i have these ambitions and these things are not going a certain way and you know and family stuff and it's just why do you want to like go see the person whose job it is to listen to you talk about that yes <laughs> you know? exactly i think it's great I just i feel like everybody should should do it whether you have what even if you don't even think you need like i when i go i'm not like i have this thing i really want to talk about Same. i'm just like yeah let's go like you know unload some stuff yeah. who knows what we'll talk about that's the thing sometimes yeah. i'll be like i just been like feeling kind of stressed or like tearful so yeah. i should talk about it because i'm not even sure what's going on yeah and they'll help you figure it out mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure it's either about my fear of failure or my mother <laughs> one of the two that's <laughs> pick your point pretty much the two things <laughs> um yeah so that's uh, yeah what so what, how much of your clientele uh, do you see a lot of people with eating disorders or what, what other specializations do you have um i mean eating disorders and self-injury are like main, my main specialties mm-hmm. but especially since i travel more for work i've been seeing people that are a little more higher functioning like out of treatment with eating disorders or mm-hmm. just like anxiety work stress um you know marital issues should we have a baby just basic stuff that people come in i mean people always think oh you're a marriage and family therapist that means you only see couples and families i'm like no i'm just a therapist that's just like my license title i work on relationships with yourself with other people all of that absolutely because an issue that you could have with a significant other is an issue that you could have with a, with with a family member or a friend or Mm -hmm. whatever or a business partner or something like that it's all yeah. about communication and yeah. So it's, it's, <laughs> that's the great thing about being married to my wife is uh, she'll, you know, her being uh, a psychologist as well. will just like very matter of factly just like, Oh, why do you think you do that? And then I'll be like, Oh, this She's like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, that's why. Yeah. Or so, she doesn't even need to tell me. She, uh, it'll, she'll just sort of like prod me in the direction of like, Oh, Yep. Yep. That's why I'm like that. <laughs> Do you find that helpful or invasive? I've always wondered what my husband thinks. I find it very helpful. I, for, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm transparent to a fault. Like I could tell a perfect stranger deeply intimate detail, you know, things about myself. I don't know what it is. I don't care. Like I want to tell the world, like this is this embarrassing thing about me. I, I just... I don't know why I value, like, I just, I put transparency on a pedestal or something. Well, maybe it takes away the power of things, too. The more you talk about it, the less, I mean, that's what's helpful about therapy. You say it out loud, and you're like, oh, I guess it isn't that bad. Yeah, like, oh, this dumb thing happened to me when I was 12, and Mm -hmm. whatever, like, you know, I just. So annoying, ugh, and then you move on. Yeah, I think that might be part of it, the the disempowering of, like, a a, a memory or, 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 or an event that was, like, maybe traumatic at the time, but I'm like, you know what, I'm over it, it's not not a big deal you know yeah. 
or 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 just like the ways we are like for like society is still very conservative like as as we become more liberal we're still super conservative about certain things you know mm-hmm. relationship dynamics and and stuff like that and and i just like to kind of like hey like let's, there's let's no bullshit here it. just yeah. come on man let, yeah we all think this or feel this or mm-hmm. yeah i just want to like uh, you know casually poke the the world towards progress yeah <laughs> kind of you know and i think the best way to do that is just like hey here's what's up with me yeah you know? agreed you can mm-hmm. you share you like teach by example lead, yeah lead by example mm-hmm. absolutely so yeah with her i i, I love i, I <laughs> you know she she's used to it but a lot of our conversations are about me i <laughs> think <laughs> <laughs> you know my well because she's fascinated by meeting like my parents and my sister and like of course analyzing our whole family well, the dynamic family dynamic man yes. tells you so much about Absolutely. people you're like yeah. oh yes. that mm. yeah and ours is very strange it's very subtle it's subtle in its strangeness which is why everyone i've ever met who's like met my parents or like you know heard what i my opinions on my parents or my childhood is kind of like ah i don't see it and then uh you know my wife is is like oh yeah no, I, I knew it immediately. Mm-hmm. And then uh, over the years, getting to know them more, just like she's just like fascinated. Like she yeah. asks to watch our home movies to be like, isn't that like we'll we'll watch our home <laughs> movies. And she'll go, isn't that interesting what your mother did right there? And I'm like, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> like, I love this that. is just blowing my mind. But like, it is fascinating. Family dynamics, man. That's like a whole nother podcast. It's I find huge. that to be because like we each play a role and yeah. we each fill this role because like it's the only spot available because mom and dad are already doing this and right. it's really interesting. Right. And you do get to know people. I mean, I'm sure everybody feels this way even if you're friends when you finally meet their parents or their siblings, sure. you're like oh, yes. Because <laughs> patterns are put in place mm-hmm. when you're like 3 because yes. you just like this is how reality is. This is how life is. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it takes like a really seismic event like for me I was a certain kind of way and then when I was 18 and I like went to college and I like did a lot of drugs really fast and I did so many drugs that it like knocked me out of like I like left myself and looked back at myself and got for the first time in my entire life an objective view of me Mm -hmm. and was like whoa I don't like that at all this is not I don't want to be that kind of person at all yeah let's invent a new one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's do that. And that was very, that was, that was very uh, strange experience for me because, you know, when you're a certain way, you don't, I just remember being a kid and not thinking about what I was saying or what I was doing and not considering it in a way, like I was very thoughtless as a young person. Most people are. Yeah. You don't really have that insight or the ability to like. How am I affecting those around me? I just, yeah. it didn't even occur to me, you know? Yeah. But. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it is true. Like it takes a while. I think. I always felt like my 20s were for like getting, as my mom would say, like working out the piss and vinegar. It's like when you're just like figuring out who you are, being like right. crazy, kind of angry getting sometimes. Getting a little angry because sure yeah, mm-hmm. get just, a little blame to point yeah, out. Yeah, you're like, what the hell was that, yeah. mom and dad, right? And, and then you, your 30s, you kind of cool down and collect yourself and make sure you don't do that to the next generation of That's the people. plan. Yeah, I'm so glad because like uh, I I shouldn't be too hard on my parents because uh, when my sister was born, my parents were like 22 and 24. Mine too, like 24, 26. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty young. If I had a kid at that age, I would have screwed mother. them up completely. Oh, yeah. But now I'm you know 36 and this is it's it, I I I mean I feel ready as of like this year. <laughs> so it's <laughs> well, like perfect timing. Perfect timing. So uh, yeah, so I finally feel like all right. I think I'm gonna do okay. I'm gonna. Yeah. I mean I definitely have like my list of like these couple of things that like oh that would happen to me i'm not gonna do it Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna (laughs) repeat that trauma and then uh inevitably there's some other thing that i'll do that's gonna screw them up and then we do the best we can we do our best you know (laughs) but i definitely i mean uh, the trend is going towards people having kids later at least in in metropolitan areas i don't know what they're doing i I don't know what like the i mean i grew up in a small town and they still mm -hmm. have kids pretty young pretty probably yeah but college pushes that off a little so if you go to school i mean technically you're not going to get out till you're 21 maybe 22 right find someone get married maybe where the average age was 20 it's now like 24 something exactly. like that so that's I'd assume, a little yeah. bit but and We're then moving yeah it. and then around here it's all like 36 oh, yeah. and you know about my age and 
So that, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Same. But, uh, and then, you know, we're, we're, the longevity is increasing. We're going to, you know, who knows, we might live to a hundred and something. Yeah. And so. It sounds like we're, it's, that's the yeah. plan. So. Why would we have had kids at 21 yep. anyway? And, have to deal with that for that long? Let's right. just wait a little bit. And then we're a hundred and they're 80, <laughs> 81. And we're like, we're like both crazy old. How does this work? Like. <laughs> Like either of us could Who's die at any moment. To take care of who? Yeah, we're both incontinent. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious to see this next like 50 years is going to be pretty batshit crazy. I feel like yeah, it's I have interesting. No idea what's going to happen. Same, same. <laughs> um. So, anything else do you want to wrap up with in terms of? the types or anything that's happening that's new in terms of treatment or I mean not really Mm -hmm. treatment varies so much from person to person there are new treatments in general for mental health issues like um but not necessarily eating disorders Mm -hmm. um everything from like uh, TMS transcranial magnetic stimulation Mm -hmm. um and that's like non you don't take a drug it's like magnets they put on your head and you wear a little hat little Mm -hmm. like cap um you have to go in there like four, I think it's five times a week. So it's pretty time consuming. Yeah. Um, but other than that, they're just, I don't know, they're learning more about genetics. That's really where, what I've seen in the research coming out mm-hmm. is there are four genes that they know are responsible for eating disorders. Um, oh, okay. But they, they're sure that there are others that are affected. You know, it's like right. trying to figure out exactly. It's a rich tapestry. <laughs> exactly. Like there's one gene responsible for whether or not you like cilantro, but there's like 25 when it comes to mental illness that we don't know. Right, you know? right, so, right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think finding the right therapist, making sure you like them, you feel like they get you, getting treatment early rather than later. You don't have to be at the, you know, the bottom of the barrel feeling the worst that you can before you get help. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really it. Yeah. That's the message. Just w- w- go, go, go see somebody if you can afford it. Yeah. Whether you have a problem or not. Yeah. Call your it's insurance. Fun. It's wonderful. You I just, love you it. You leave and you're like, I know myself more. Yeah. That's that great. That was exhausting, but exhilarating. It's very satisfying. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's just my personality, but I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> same. So great, yeah. Same. Cool. Well, thanks so much. I learned a lot. Yeah. That was thanks a blast. for having me. Absolutely.